I'd like to ask you to continue to pray if you would, or start if you haven't been praying yet, for all the marriages that constitute Elam Mission Church. We're in a series we started, actually we're starting it today, we got a little pre-game preview last week by preaching expositorily from the, um, probably the, as I keep saying, the the most quintessential passage on marriage in the entire New Testament, Ephesians chapter 5. Now there's stuff for you here, even if you're not married, because it's about relationships that we're talking. But I'd like to ask you to tune in, married or unmarried, um, no matter what your status is, and pray for the marriages in this church. We have an enemy We know we have an enemy. Scripture tells us we have an enemy. Many many of us have felt the effect of that enemy in our lives. That enemy is Satan. And one of the things he wants to do is to destroy. And one of the things he would love to destroy most is the family. Because it's the basic building block for any culture. So we need to pray. I'd like to start off today's message, which is a heavy message, I think, by the way. Uh, So I'd appreciate your prayer during the message that all of us would have ears to hear and hearts to respond. I'd like to start off, as I often do, by asking you a couple of questions. How many people here remember that if someone in your neighborhood divorced, it seemed odd, sort of exceptional? Anybody anybody as old as I am here? It was kind of a... it it was just not common. How many people here are themselves the product of divorce? Many. Listen to these statistics. America's divorce rate is double to that of France or Germany and three times that of Japan. That's pretty sobering. Only England has a divorce rate that is double to that of the United States. Today in the United States, 43% of all first marriages will end in divorce. And about 60% of remarriages will suffer the same fate. Now, you want to contrast? Contrast that, if you will. 43% of all marriages in the U.S. end in divorce. Contrast that with what things were like in 1952. Only 1 in 250 marriages in this nation, 0.4% ended in divorce. That's a big spread. Here's what's happened in America. Divorce has become a nationally accepted alternative to marriage. And what's so sad and even horrible about it is that Christians have begun to buy into the same lie. Divorce is as rampant in the body of Christ as without. The message I'm bringing you today is largely drawn from a couple of people that I have a lot of respect for. Barb and Gary Rosberg, America's family coaches, they call themselves. They live in Iowa. They do seminars and a ton of marriage counseling. And uh, they're, they're quite good, actually, 
And I, I'm going to give you their website, if I remember, at the end of the service today. But they provide us with what we call a marriage map, as well as um, talk about some destructive assumptions people make about marriage, and they'd also talk about uh, the kinds of love we need to express to one another in marriage. We're going to get a sort of a sampling of that all today, but we're going to start with a marriage map. Now, what is a marriage map? Basically, it's a means of identifying where we may be in our relationship with one another. So on the map, as any map, there are locations. Or you could, if you don't want to use the map analogy, you can think in terms of stages in marriage. But nevertheless, the marriage map will help us determine where we are or aren't, or where we have been or where we don't want to be in our own relationships. Very handy tool. There are six locations on the map. And the question we need to be asking ourselves as we review this is, where are we? Where are we? The first is living the dream. That's where we all start, most of us anyway. That's where we'd like to stay. That's where it's almost inevitably impossible to stay. We call it the honeymoon stage. People would love to have their entire married life, a picture of this endearment, this enthusiasm, this fulfillment that that's what got us together in the first place. We thought it was, was always going to be like that. And then reality set in. Usually this honeymoon stage is short-lived, but it's incredibly exciting and it's very desirous. Any amens? Can't remember back that far, can you? Then there's the, lo- the disappointment location or stage. Somebody said, love is blind, but marriage is the eye-opener. Somebody else said, marriage is a romance. Listen to this. Marriage is a romance in which the hero dies in the first chapter. (laughs) If we're married long enough, we're going to disappoint and be disappointed by our mate. So let's not even try to project the myth of a perfect marriage. The problem is that we need to learn quickly to spot and effectively deal with relational disappointments in marriage or they will fester, they will grow, they will go unresolved. Every disappointment needs a relational solution. Here's an analogy I came up with that I think may be helpful in terms of understanding this. Imagine your marriage like a bunch of arrowheads stacked point to point on end vertically. See that on your screen? This is what happens. We start out marriage, oh, we're always going to be tight. We're always going to love each other. We're always going to have a very uh, sensitive affection toward one another. And what happens? Life happens. Kids come. Bills mount up, et cetera, et cetera. And inevitably, we drift. Now, something happens. Maybe it's imperceptible. Maybe we're not even aware of it. Maybe it's just an awareness of, oh, here's my mate. Something happens that pulls us back together. So we start another arrowhead. You notice the second arrowhead in the diagram is a little further out than the first one? Through inattentiveness, um, through a number of, for a number of reasons, we get there. Then maybe something more cataclysmic happens. Maybe a child dies or, or uh, we lose our job or uh, we just realize again how distant we are from one another. We come back together. And then another arrowhead appears. And it goes on and on and on. And what happens is this. This is 
this is my take on it after some 40 years of ministry and looking at a lot of marriages. If it gets out here often enough and we get out here far enough, we lose hope. We lose desire. And there are some people at that point that say, well, we might as well pack it in because we, this is irresolvable. And then there's a split that comes and disappointment has done its duty. It's, done its, it's, it's, it's taken its toll on us. So we need to be aware of the, the fact that disappointments are going to happen in our marriage. It's inevitable. But the idea is to keep the arrowheads as small as possible. How do we do that? How do we do that? We keep talking. We go to counseling. We take in marriage enrichment seminars. We, we, uh, we are actively a part of our lives. We listen to one another. We do a lot of things together. Well, the next stop on the marriage map is discouragement if we're not tending to our marriage. If we're unteachable or unaware of our marital disappointments, the result will be discouragement. And discouragement over a long haul, kind of illustrating now, now the, the, the arrowhead analogy, over a long haul it provokes hopelessness. It leaves us wondering if there may be something better than what we have. If there's a situation that might be better than the situation in which I find myself now. Our needs are not being met and we can't seem to meet theirs. Maybe this whole thing was a mistake. Discouragement can militate against the development of love in our relationship. And let's face it, love is something that's developed like faith. It's like a muscle. You work on it, it'll develop. You neglect it and bad things happen. But the next stage or location on the map is distance. The purpose and goal of marriage is oneness. Excuse me. We're called to oneness in marriage. Remember last week we talked about it about it in Ephesians chapter 5. A man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. So it's leaving and cleaving, and this cleaving we call oneness. Distance is the opposite of oneness. We're to be glued together in our relationship. This is what happens when disappointments go untended. Distance develops. The arrowhead gets way out there. Things go untended. Discouragement becomes too prevalent for too long. One or both marital partners begin to use activities or possessions or busyness or even other people to fill the void that has become fixed between them. Estrangement sets in. I'm going to make an important statement. You may want to write this down. When we're not experiencing companionship in our marriage, when when we're not experiencing oneness as God intended, and we let this happen, we end up undermining what God purposed for our relationship to begin with. And there's more than one couple in the world and probably more than one couple in this congregation that has come to accept a distant relationship as the best they can do. And I'm here to tell you it doesn't need to be that way. They didn't expect it to happen this way. It wasn't what they would have planned. It just happened. But when it's identified, it's time to act. It's vital to act. Other things like 
people or job or hobbies can fill a void even permanently if we don't act. The next stop in our location on the map is discord. Somebody said marriage is like a three-ring circus. There's the engagement ring, there's the wedding ring, and there's suffering. Bad joke, but it illustrates it. Relationally disconnected people are easy prey for disunity, for dissension, and open discord. When we're no longer teammates, we can easily become adversaries. And at this point, it's almost inevitable that a marriage partner in this stage will wonder if life might be better without the other person. Now, Gary and Barb Rosberg have had a lot of experience dealing with marriage. I want you to listen to what he says. I'm going to quote him. A good marriage can be brought down in two years by focusing on what you're not getting out of the relationship and how your partner fails to live up to your expectations. That's sad, isn't it? But it's reality. The last stop, or location on the map, is emotional divorce. At this point, the relationship has died. A formal legal divorce just serves to identify the fact that this couple parted company emotionally sometime earlier. They may not even decide to file for the decree, but they end up as just two people who happen to share the same living space. I want to tell you something. I, can, I know a couple right now in Minneapolis who are both in Christian service who are right there in their relationship. For years, they've lived in the same home having nothing to do with one another. So we know this can happen. I told you this was a heavy message. This can happen. God forbid it should happen to us. Do you know that every married person listening to this message is somewhere between the dream and emotional divorce stage? Did you know that if we're not purposely endeavoring to head toward the dream that we're almost inevitably headed in the other direction. We need to become acquainted with the marriage map. We need to decide to work on work in order to do the right to go in the right direction. We need to make the most of our marriages. I'm stating the obvious, but it needs to be stated lest we begin to believe the lies that Satan has there so readily at hand for us to believe. Marriage is not so much a noun as it is a verb. It isn't something we get. It's something we do. It's the way we love our partner every day. Get acquainted with the marriage map. I preached along these lines last summer in Poland. And my wife and I talked about where we were. We reviewed it this morning on the way here talking about it. We need to talk about these things in our relationships. Second thing that would be helpful for us to do is to avoid certain assumptions. Here's one of them. Our marriage is good enough. Oh yeah? Who says? You say that. Ask your mate. Our marriage is good enough. Most doomed marriages don't become that overnight. They shrivel up over time. And especially as believers, we need to know the intention of the enemy of our soul. It is destruction. 
Listen to what the Word of God says, John 10.10. The thief's purpose is to steal and to kill and to destroy. And that destruction includes everything that God counts as a virtue, including marriage, the very bedrock of any society. This, our marriage is good enough estimation, can be uttered for at least two reasons. One is pure and simply laziness. I'm just not going to work on this relationship. I have too many other important things to do. I want to read a biblical description of this malady of laziness. Listen to it. Apply it to marriage. I went past the field of the sluggard, past the vineyard of the man who lacks judgment. Thorns had come up everywhere. The ground was covered with weeds and the stone well was in ruins. I applied my heart to what I observed and learned a lesson from what I saw. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a bandit and scarcity like an armed man. I can't tell you how many couples I've sat with and have heard something like, well, if you want to go to counseling, you go ahead, but I don't need it. That's laziness. Every marriage could use a shot in the arm. Every marriage could use a word of wisdom once in a while from a professional. That's the reason, thank God, for Campus Crusade and other groups that have developed marriage seminars where we can go and talk about it. You know, when I was a kid, nobody had seminars like this to go to. Marriage preparation in the church was, was practically nil. We prepared for all kinds of things. We prepared people better to teach Sunday school than we did on how to be married. But it's changed. If we don't take advantage of it, we're either dumber than we think we are, or we're lazy. Or another alternative, I guess, if you don't like lazy, is how about inattentiveness? We're just drifting along. Drifting is an insidious thing. It happens without notice. Like the arrowheads. Oh, look where we are. Let's come back together. I may have told you the story about when I was fishing one time, and uh, I had this tackle, tackle box to die for. My wife would like to throw it in the river. Big old heavy thing, it's got everything but the kitchen sink in it. And I had my head down, as I was sitting about 40 yards out from the shore, had my head down, sorting through my tackle box, trying to find the lure that I wanted and, or something. And um, the next thing I know, something poked me in the head. It was a branch from a low-hanging tree. I had drifted 30 or 40 yards from where I was, unknown to myself, right into shore. That's what drifting is. You don't realize where you are. It's like flying blind. We can't let that happen in our relationships. No couple drifting along in a good enough, no-effort-invested marriage can expect to grow in their marital relationship. Now, it's true that no marriage is perfect, but neither should any marriage be regarded as good enough. Our marriages are never good enough. It's like John Piper said recently, I saw a headline on an article he wrote, no man ever marries the right woman. Think about it. There's always something to gripe about. And it's true on the other side, too. Always something to complain about, and legitimately. So we've got to work on this relationship. The second assumption... Divorce offers me an opportunity for a better life. Oh, brother. Now, often what precipitates divorce is a notion of what divorce will accomplish. People have this 
misguided notion that it means a fresh start to a happier life. And even Christians can buy into this falsehood. Research has shown, listen to this, research has shown that couples that stick it out with each other when tempted to part ways are happy or even happier with one another once the crises they've been facing passes. They grow through working things out. For a couple of years, I was on staff with a fellowship of Christian athletes in Chicago, and I had the privilege of working with the Chicago Bears, led a Bible study of the Bears. And we had a coach that came to that study, which was against the head coach's desire for the assistants to be fraternizing with the players that much, but this guy didn't care. He'd become a believer. And we were talking about marriage one night, and he said, you know what? This is my second marriage. But if I knew then what I know now about marriage, I would have never had a divorce. I could have saved my first marriage. And he knew from experience. Now, he had a happy marriage. His second marriage was a happy marriage. His first wife had remarried, and there was no getting back together in that relationship. But it just serves to underscore what we're talking about here. Divorce offers me an opportunity for a better life. You can have a great life with a woman or man to whom you're married now if you work on it. Here's a few advantages of remaining married in terms of health and wealth and happiness. A married 48-year-old woman has an 87% chance of living to age 65. But if she's divorced, she only has a 67% chance. Does that say something? A married 48-year-old man has an 83% chance of living to the age of 65, but if he's divorced, he only has a 63% chance. Now, I'm just quoting the stats. I didn't research it, but that's what it says. How about wealth? 1994, I got a stat from that era. I wish I could have gotten something more up to date. But in 1994, married couples in their 50s averaged net assets of $132,000. Divorced persons in that same year averaged assets of $33,600. That's quite a disparity. I guess you could say it pays to remain married. How about happiness? Married persons are twice as likely as single persons for any reason to say they are very happy in their marriage. Twice as likely. Scott Stanley, director of the University of Denver's Center for Marital and Family Studies, sums it up very well. He says, you want to live a long and prosperous life, take good care of your mate. Take good care of your marriage. Also consider this, and it has to be considered, the children of divorce. Here's a short list of the impact of divorce on children involved. According to Judith Wellerstein in her book, The Unexpected Legacy of Divorce. Number one, I can really identify with this one. Missing role models. When, I le- when my dad left, it was such a void. I can't tell you. Even today, we watched a movie some years ago. and some, This will happen to me even now. We watched a movie, Kramer versus Kramer. There are times in that movie I laughed. Some of the stuff was funny. There are times I could not control the tears. When my dad died and I went to his funeral, I had wept. But I didn't weep for him dying. I wept for the relationship we never had. It hit me like a ton of bricks. I remember one time 
I had to go to an event. I was a sophomore or junior in high school, and I had to wear a tie. I still remember this. I didn't know how to tie a tie. No one was there to teach me. I fumbled around, figured it out, had something that resembled a, t- a knot and a tie, and that's the way I went, whether it looked good or bad, and I don't remember which it looked. But I just remember it, missing role models. That's part of the legacy of divorce. Do you wish that on your children? Prolonged adolescence is another one. When children of divorce provide emotional support for wounded parents, their bonds are harder to break. It's harder for them to become independent and go out and live life as they're supposed to. A diminished shot at life is another one. For instance, 90% of fathers in intact families contribute to college expenses. Do you know how many contribute if there's a divorce involved? 30%. Rough stepfamily relations. Remarriage shifts a parent's focus from their child to their new mate. There's a price to pay for this kind of neglect. More at-risk behavior. Children of divorce, listen to this. Children of divorce use drugs and alcohol before age 14 more than do children of intact families. Girls tend to have earlier sexual experiences coming from a divorced family. And then lastly, at least lastly on this list, from Judith Wellerstein, less social competence. Only 40% of children of divorce functioned well in social relationships, according to one survey. Another 33% went to therapists to work through their personal lives. Divorce offers us an opportunity for a better life? Says who? Says who? The wrong people are speaking. The unfortunate thing is we tend to listen. The third assumption is this. Well, our love makes us immune from the threat of divorce. Now, it's true that it is love that's the foundation for a thriving marriage, but the question is what kind of love? What kind of love? It takes a love that experiences its, expresses itself in different ways to really divorce-proof a marriage. And the problem of, is that most of us have a limited view of what love is. In some cases, it's even a jilted view. Fed so much by our culture, it's tied so closely to the physical that everything becomes defined by the sensual. There's a subset of this assumption, our love makes us immune to the threat of marriage, and that is this, my mate will always love me. It's not necessarily so. Marriage is like a garden. If healthy, it is what it is because it's been cared for. If it's not cared for, love can shrivel up like a dying plant. We're going to take a little closer look at this thing of love now, but before we do, let me just underline again, there are false assumptions out there about marriage. Don't believe them. Third thing we should do, and that's what we're going to do now very briefly, is to pursue the full development of love in our marriage. What does fully developed love in marriage look like? What does it do? Well, it does at least six things. One of the things, and we'll be talking about this in the weeks to come. It forgives. 
It offers each other a fresh start after we've offended one another and hurt each other. And let's not be naive about it. We will offend one another. We will hurt each other. It's happened too many times in all of our marriages already. It's inevitable when you get two people together that don't agree eye to eye. Somebody says if you have two people that agree all the time, one of them is unnecessary. Forgiving love equips us to communicate at a deeper level, the level of acceptance for one another. Uh, that we can recover the, from the pain we occasionally inflict on each other. How many times have you cleared the slate, started afresh again on that next arrowhead by just saying, Honey, I'm sorry. Would you please forgive me? One of the most poignant scenes in the movie Fireproof is when uh, Kirk Cameron, the guy who plays the husband in that movie, kneels at his wife's side and he asks her for forgiveness. Forgiving love. Don't leave home without it. Love not only forgives, it serves. You're going to hear this verse a lot in the next couple of weeks. Romans 12.10 Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Devoted to one another. Honor one another above yourselves. It helps us to discover and meet each other's deeper needs when we serve. The process of identifying needs and taking steps to meet them in each other is critical in our married relationship. And there's biblical precedent for doing it. We've already read one of them, Romans 12.10. How about this? Love perseveres. Day-to-day life can be hazardous to your health. Things happen. We need to learn to love in a way that helps us keep Steady with each other when life's trials and pains occur. Persevering love helps us form a bond with our mates that will last. Trials can crush us or they can improve us. Approached with the right perspective, a couple can say together with Paul, we rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance Perseverance, character, and character, hope. We need a love that will keep us everlastingly at it in making our marriage succeed. I'm going to break in here right now with a prayer request. I've been thinking a lot about this couple. I can't think of anything that would be harder to deal with in marriage than losing a child. Dan and Kathy Rodelius are part of Buffalo Free Church. A few months back, their daughter Emma, 16 years old, was evidently inattentive in her driving, hit a truck head-on, and she's gone. Would you pray for the Rodeliuses? They had a good marriage, strong marriage, but it's stuff like this where we understand the dynamic of perseverance and what it's all about. Would you pray for them? Fourthly, we need a love that guards. A guarding love protects the heart from what can threaten our marriage. There are a lot of threats to marriage. There are threats from the outside. Busyness, job stress, sexual temptation, worldly distractions, etc., etc., etc. 
But there are temptations from the inside as well. Competitiveness, worry, high expectations. A guarding love is alert to the threats and does what it can to protect against these forces. Biblical counsel for this, Proverbs 4, 23. Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. The kind of love we need is a love that celebrates. This is when we ignite or reignite the romance in our relationship. Solomon says it so well. How delightful you are. How pleasant for utter delight. Largely has to do with when, we're physically, when we physically cherish one another. Something we're made to do. Lastly, it renews. Renewing love regards the marriage covenant as unbreakable. It works to refresh and support the relationship. It protects it from the insecurity our culture would sow into it. That allows our mates to live with us confidently, knowing of our commitment to make our marriage work. I want to read something for you. It's in your outline, in fact. You can read along if you like. I'm not going to make any comments on it. I think it speaks for itself. But just so we know how the Lord feels about this thing of divorce. Malachi 2, 14 to 16. The Lord is acting as the witness between you and the wife of your youth because you've broken faith with her. Though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant, has not the Lord made them one? In flesh and spirit they are his. And why one? Because he was seeking godly offspring. So guard yourself in your spirit and do not break faith with the wife of your youth. He drops the bomb right here. I hate divorce, says the Lord God of Israel. And I hate a man's covering himself with violence as well as with his garment, says the Lord Almighty. So guard yourself in your spirit and do not break faith. I want you to know something. We're not here today to pick on people who've gone through divorce. That's not our purpose at all. They would be the first to champion this message because they've learned some hard lessons. So that's not our objective. But it's so that all of us will take care. If you're married, I want to ask you to do two things in response to this message today. First of all, talk about it. Talk about it with your mate. You've got notes. You can get a CD or a DVD of this message. Don't just file this away under the, oh, that was interesting category. Or, well, that sure aggravated me. Sometimes I do that. That's what preaching does. Don't just file it away. Talk about it. Ask each other, as my wife and I did last summer, where are we on the map? Make some decisions together about how to respond. Even if your mate wasn't here this morning, make sure they get the message somehow through a CD or a DVD and talk about it. That's that can be extremely helpful. And secondly, decide now to invest in your marriage. Let me give you that website. We've thrown a lot of resources your way in the last few weeks. And we're going to keep talking about them. There are marriage seminars coming up, and I'll review that with you in just a second. But if you want some help online, www.dr, just dr, Dr. Gary and Barb, no points or anything. Doctor, there's one word, drgaryandbarb.com. America's Family Coaches. 
Then there's also these seminars we've talked about. Weekend to Remember, March 7th through 9th. It's right in your bulletin. No excuse. Everybody reads their bulletin every week religiously, right? So we all know this. The Art of Marriage, February 14th and 15th at Annandale Free Church. That's coming right around the corner. Take advantage of every opportunity you can. You say, well, marriage is okay. Oh, no, let's not slide into that marriage is good enough mentality. Your marriage is threatened every day. I'm not trying to scare anybody here, but this is reality. Let's do the maintenance program on our marriage. Take advantage of these seminars. Let me give you one final word on the subject. This is a quote from Gary Rosberg's book, How to Divorce-Proof Your Marriage. I like it. We're not likely to know our great-grandchildren, but they will know us. Let your kids and grandkids know you as a man and a woman who took a stand for godly marriage in an ungodly culture. No matter how wealthy you may be, you cannot leave a richer inheritance to your offspring than to divorce-proof your marriage and live out the dream God has for you as a couple. Isn't that good? That's good counsel. Let's pray.